want to look at the whole idea of living differently than those who do not believe in Jesus, but even more than that, living differently than how we live now as believers. So we want to talk about living resurrection life, and that's not because Easter's coming. I'm not paying any much attention to the liturgical calendar, but there is something in Scripture called living resurrection life. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, He, Jesus, gave us resurrection life. And that's what I want to talk about. But to get to that point in tonight's chat, we need to go back to the start where I discovered all this. And the start is a guy called John the Baptist, who's the forerunner of Jesus and one of my heroes. Um, he's one of my heroes because he knew what he was, who he was, and what he was called to do which is on like a lot of Christians today. He's a hero because he was confident in who he was and bold enough to live according to who he was. He's my hero because he was not afraid to express himself in the way that he lived or he dressed. And he's my hero because his life and his ministry were totally integrated. He was what he preached. So we're gonna look at that in Matthew chapter three. It was at this time that John the baptizer began to preach in the desert of Judah. His message was this, the realm of heaven's kingdom is about to appear, so you'd better keep turning away from evil and turn back to God. Isaiah was referring to John when he prophesied, a thunderous voice, one will be crying out in the wilderness, prepare yourself for the Lord's coming and level a straight path inside your hearts for him. Now John wore clothing made from camel's hair, tied at his waist with a leather strap. His food consisted of dried locusts and wild honey, and a steady stream of people from Jerusalem, all the surrounding countryside, the region near the Jordan, came out to the wilderness to be baptized by him. And while they were publicly confessing their sins, he would immerse them in the Jordan River. Now, he's my hero, so we're going to talk about him for a minute. So he's the man, John, and he had the message, which was repent. And his language would have probably been Aramaic, and that meant to return to God and leave your sins behind, more than just to return to God. The motive was the coming of the kingdom. His mission was to prepare the way for Jesus, the king of that kingdom. The manner in which he did it was basic, non-religious, raw, kind of rough, and the ministry was single-focused, confess and be baptized. I think God's taking some of our, his messengers back to that place where we're going to be that focused, that basic, that non-religious. So he would baptize people if they sincerely repented, and he would not baptize those who were not looking for a savior. So he wasn't playing church. When the scribes and the Pharisees came to him at the River Jordan, when they arrived, um, they were not acceptable. Um, they thought they had arrived in the kingdom. They thought they were righteous, and they just were not acceptable. And so he was simply preparing the way for Jesus, who initiated the kingdom. He spoke boldly, bluntly, and had only one message. He, Jesus, will submerge you into union with the spirit of holiness and with a raging fire. That was his message. And because of that, you need to repent. So I want you to think for a second or two about being submerged into a raging fire.
TPT is the Passion Translation. You're welcome. Okay, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's the version you would know. But another version which is very accurate to the original language is he will baptize you in with the spirit of holiness and with a raging fire. And so we need to think about what it would be like to be submerged in a raging fire. Now, there are a lot of theories and a lot of camps on being baptized with fire. Some believe it's a separate event from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some believe it's connected. It's exactly the same event. Some believe it refers to being without sin because the fire in Malachi chapter 3 was a refinished fire and all the dross came off the silver and the gold. And I'm not wanting to get entangled in all those various guessing games that no one really understands. But there is this thing called the baptism of fire. And so I just want the verses to speak to us again. So let's read them one more time. He, Jesus, will submerge you into union with the spirit of holiness and with a raging fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you. So I've added one there, and that's the message version. He will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you. So the verses are saying there is something called the baptism with fire. Baptism means totally submerged in, so therefore you can be submerged in this fire, and that this fire ignites the kingdom life within you. That's the same as the verse I started with. Jesus gave us resurrection life, kingdom life. It's the same thought. The fire and the kingdom life are linked. In Luke 12, 49, it's not going to come up, and it will come up in a sec. Um, this uh, talking about spiritual heartburn or an inner passion for God or his resurrection life released in us. You remember the story? Um of the two walking on the road to Emmaus, and they said, did not our hearts burn within us? That's what we're talking about, that kind of fire. And Jesus says in Luke 12, 49, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I long for every heart to be already ablaze with this fiery passion for God. So as soon as you catch this idea, it kind of comes up in all these different verses that I hadn't spotted before. This fiery passion for God is what we're calling the baptism of fire. I believe the baptism in fire is a submersion into God himself. Because Hebrews 12, 29 says our God is a consuming fire. So if we are baptized into God, if we're totally saturated with God, then we are totally consumed by this fire. When we are baptized into into God the Father and he is a consuming fire then our hearts are ablaze with his love we will have this tremendous life changing passion or love for him and we will live with joy because you can't have love without joy um, fruit of the spirit is love joy 
So when we're baptized in fire, I believe we are baptized, saturated, submerged in God. And at that point, we truly become new creatures in Christ. So listen to it in another version. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. So when we're in Christ, we're in God. And in God, in the Greek, is just on theos. And I've taught you this a hundred times. On means in or inside. And theos means God in Greek. So when we are baptized into God, we are in God or inside God, in this God who's a consuming fire. And that's where we get the word enthusiasm from. Enthusiasm literally means being in God. So the only person who can be enthusiastic in the Bible sense of enthusiastic are the believers. That's why Jesus said, I came to give you life, life abundant. I'm giving you the normal version you would know. But the Passion Translation says, I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. And the overflow is the enthusiasm element of kingdom life. Okay, so let me give you a personal thought. We have a lot to be enthusiastic about. You're saved from sin and hell. You're adopted into God's family. You're children of the living God. You have a deep assurance of his love, which will never be, you can never be separated from, no matter what you do or try to do. That assurance of his love gives you tremendous confidence in what he's doing in you and through you. You're part of his worldwide family called the church. You're given guidance and direction in everything that you do, if you listen and follow the direction. There's a purpose in your life, a purpose greater than anybody else who's not a believer could ever have um, or want. You have a place in heaven when you die. You're walking daily with the living God that you're going to be facing face to face when you get to heaven. You're fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. You have been empowered. You have supernatural gifts. We have a lot to be enthusiastic about. So we have been baptized in God, which means being baptized in love, which means to be submerged, because God is love, First John 4 and 8. And that means being submerged or saturated. And God is an all-consuming fire. That's Hebrews 12, 29. And so we have been baptized then into fire. So we are to live in the fire. Live life on fire. And that's why Jesus said in Luke 9, 12, 49, I have come to set the earth on fire. And how I long for every heart to be already ablaze with this fiery passion for God. Am I making sense? Am I linking it together well enough for you? So living life passionately means you're living life enthusiastically, which means you're full of life, which is really full of his life. And it's overflowing, and that overflowing is seen in you celebrating life all the time, being enthusiastic about your life. Here's the problem. For most Christians, for some Christians, the fire has gone out. They're living in the ashes. For others, the fire is dying quickly, 
but it's not too late. You can still go and blow on the embers, which is why Paul said to Timothy, fan into flames. So as we walk with Jesus, our hearts should be, must be, on fire for him. So we should have heartburn. And that was the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Did not our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while we walked beside him? Excuse me, you walk beside him every day. So you should have the same flames of holy passion. We're not waiting till we get to heaven to walk with God. We're walking with him now. Here's the problem. Most believers that I meet, um, they started a serious love relationship with God. And they were passionate. They were on fire for the Lord. And some of those people literally had a life-changing, life-altering, powerful encounter with Jesus. Genuinely saved. Uh, some of them in a spectacular way. Some of them in a very quiet, unspectacular, but very deep way. And then life came along and beat them down. So the fire they experienced in their hearts when they first got saved, that love has since died down considerably. So if you were to look all these words up in Greek that I'm quoting you from the New Testament, you would find that the word fire inside of us would mean passion, enthusiasm, excitement, anticipation, expectancy, and celebration. For some people, that's totally gone. They'll tell you that they're believers, but they're going through the motions without the emotions, and you can't follow Jesus without emotion. You can't live your life by the emotions, but you've got to have emotions because that's what passion is all about. Other people, they've not lost their first love yet, but they've cooled in their relationship. So let's go back to last Saturday night. They're walking instead of running because we talked about running the race last week. And so a lot of Christians have some love for God, but it's not a passion, and they need to begin to fan that flame. All right? Others have lost it totally, and therefore need to be reacquainted with Jesus. They need to get born again. The problem is they're going through the motions, and they think they're okay. So they read their Bible and they pray and they serve and they fellowship and they worship and they and they and they and they have no clue what Jesus is thinking or feeling about them or what it is he's saying to them. And the fire has gone out. So I've working on this this week. I talked to a number of Christians in a number of countries, Georgia, Armenia, by the way I've been invited to go to Georgia, which is a country I've not gone to yet. So yeah, I thought that might be fun. Um, that's just above Turkey, above Armenia. So when you talk about the fire going out, they don't know if they can trust God anymore. They made a commitment, and then in their lives, they feel like God failed them. They prayed, and God apparently chose not to answer. Uh, they told God their deep need that was urgent and important, and God failed to meet the need. God failed to meet them when they hurt or where they, when they wanted him to. Um, Christians are no longer amazed um, at what God is doing in the world. 
Christians, some Christians I'm talking to, no longer have goals or aspirations for the future. They seriously are existing, not living. And they're living at one day at a time with no hope for a better tomorrow. So as I'm talking to all these Christians, and some of them weren't just overseas, there was one in Carlisle who's reconnected with me and several others um, in other places. It seems like the fire or the flame or the passion or the love for God can be dampened or destroyed or even lost. You don't do it on purpose. You drift away slowly. Nobody wakes up in the morning and decides not to follow God anymore. So in Hebrews chapter 2, this is why it is so crucial that we be all the more engaged, that's a key word, and attentive to the truths that we have heard so that we do not drift off course. So it's not intentional. Faith and passion are simply whittled away slowly by the fact that God doesn't do what you think God should do when God should do it. So, talking to all these people, here are some of the things that destroy the passion of the fire. Ready? Physical exhaustion. Guess what? The world has you running faster than you've ever run in your life. And that can lead to physical exhaustion. Emotional burnout. Guess what? There's more emotion going on in our families, in our lives, in the world. Spiritual depletion, which means you're not feeding your faith. Of course you're not. You're busy. You're tired and you're exhausted emotionally. Sickness can also destroy the passion. Um, The death of a loved one can destroy the passion. Unfulfilled expectations that you've created on your own will destroy the passion. Your friends. Criticisms. Because when you do follow God, you will receive lots of criticism. Um, And thinking that you hear God acting on it when it really wasn't him at all. So physical exhaustion, emotional burnout, spiritual depletion, not feeding your faith in however way you do that, sickness, premature death of a loved one, unrealized expectations, unfulfilled dreams, goals, and visions, criticisms, constant negatives, friends, neglect, thinking you heard God acting on it and you didn't really hear God, so God failed you when really he never asked you to do it in the first place. And so what happens is you just simply live. You exist. And yet God wants us to live, not just exist. So a lot of people, their relationship to Jesus has cooled and anything to do with their faith is lacking. So let me go back to what I said. They don't have a passion. They're not enthusiastic. They're not excited. They don't anticipate God doing anything. They have no expectancy, and they don't celebrate. In fact, if you listen to them, it's one negative after another, and you can't tell they're not that they're Christian. 
So they don't live the resurrection life that Paul mentions to Timothy that is available to all of us. Jesus gave us resurrection life. When this happens, then you're no longer a minister of reconciliation. Then you're no longer a minister. Hebrews 1.7 says we are ministers who are a flame of fire. Uh, somebody put your fire out. We're no longer rescuing people out of the fire, which is what Jude tells us we should be doing. And at times, our words are on fire with the wrong kind of fire, and James chapter 2 talks about that. Chapter 3, sorry. So when your fire goes out or is dying down slowly, you really have very little to offer a non-believer. And non-believers are not attracted to us because the thing that attracts people to Jesus is your passion, your enthusiasm, your anticipation, your expectancy, your celebration, your excitement about God doing something, about your life. And you can't make believe because people see the phony. If you put a mask on, people see it. And then they don't believe anything you say because you're not real. When you're afraid of what other people might think, then you have strange fire or false fire. So, so what's the solution? It's simple. Don't you love this one? I love that picture. The solution is simple. Number one, first you need to recognize that this is the situation in your life or in the church. And I can say that probably eight out of 10 churches I go to, this is the situation in them. So don't deceive yourself. Look at your level of passion, enthusiasm, anticipation, expectation. If that's a situation in your life that the fire is going out, then good, let's do something about it. Paul writes and he says, I'm writing to encourage you to fan into flame and rekindle the fire of the spiritual gift God imparted to you when I laid my hands upon you. That spiritual gift was salvation. You think immediately the gifts of the Spirit. The spiritual gift is salvation. God will never give you the spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. So never be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor be embarrassed over my imprisonment, but overcome every evil by the revelation of the gospel and the power of God. He gave us resurrection life and drew us to himself by his holy calling on our lives. And it wasn't because of any good that we have done, but by his divine pleasure and marvelous grace that confirmed our union with the anointed Jesus even before time began. The Amplified Version says, That is why I remind you to fan into flame the gracious gift of God, that inner fire, that special endowment which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. So we need to recognize what is your situation, my situation, our situation. Number two, we need to recognize that it's our responsibility to fan into flames and rekindle the fire. I'm not responsible for your fire and you're not responsible for my fire. You fan it and you rekindle it. I'm not doing it for you and you can't do it for me.
Can I tell you one other secret about this? Jesus isn't going to do it for you. You do it for you. Okay, number three, recognize that you must stir up the gifts. And that's, of course, another verse. The key gift is the supernatural ability to have a relationship with God, but you as well must start to use the gifts of the Spirit that are within you. So you need to stir up your salvation gift, stir up the baptism and Holy Spirit gifts. So you don't plant, you have to fan into flame, you have to rekindle the fire, and then you have to stir the whole darn thing up. If you want help doing that, number four, you need to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Because he is the one who's inside you. And he will work with you. He's not going to do it for you, but he will work with you. All right. And then, number five, embrace and walk in what the Holy Spirit has given you, which is power, love, and self-control. So, walk in forgiveness. Walk in um, getting rid of uh, anything in your conscience that's bothering you. Don't have unforgiveness. Don't have resentment. Don't have bitterness. You need to begin to walk in love, the walk in the power God has given to us. And that self-control really in the Greek is control of self by God. So you need to yield yourself to the Lord and let him control you. That's Ephesians 5.18. Okay? I'm sorry, there's lots of points. Number six, you need to testify to others. Tell other people what Jesus is doing in your life right now. Well, it was great you were saved 43 years ago, but or however long ago it was, but you need to have some current testimony because that's going to encourage your enthusiasm. Look what God is doing in my life today. I actually learned to forgive somebody, whatever it is. And then... Walk in the revelation of the gospel and the power of God. I'm just quoting the scriptures back to you. We may talk about this one next week. What is the revelation of the gospel and the power of God? Got it? Okay. And then number eight, last one. You need close fellowship with other believers who can encourage you, strengthen you, support you, yell at you, kick your butt. Hebrews 10.24, discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. None of those will happen unless you recognize that the fire has died down. You won't bother to fan it into flames again or blow on the embers because you're not recognizing how far down it's gone. Or 
In some cases, it's gone out, and then you need to rekindle the fire. Okay? And when we do that, let me tell you what happens. You pray enthusiastically. Hmm, that would be a change. You would pray with passion. You would worship enthusiastically with passion. You would read and study enthusiastically with passion. You would witness enthusiastically with passion. You would give enthusiastically. And again, that would be with passion. And you would fellowship with others enthusiastically because that's what passion is. So it's not something we have to do. It's something we look forward to doing. It's something we want to do. It's something we do with enthusiasm. It's something we do with anticipation, expectation. So I believe that it's time for most believers to start walking with Jesus in a new and a fresh way. Um, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we should be able to say, does not our hearts burn within us? Or do not our hearts burn within us, proper English. Okay, so my personal experience, and I'll end with this, was a number of years ago, God showed me Romans twelve eleven: Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, and serve the Lord. But he didn't show it to me there. He showed it to me in the message version, which was don't burn out, keep yourself fueled and aflame, be alert, servants of the master. Okay, so it's the same topic I've just taught you. Okay, keep yourself fueled in a flame. It's your responsibility. Okay, so out of that, I saw that one, that that was my responsibility. And this was probably eight years ago. And two, I saw that I needed to decide to grow and not coast and drift because it's so easy to coast and drift. We're all so busy. We've read the book before. We know the stories by heart. Okay, number three, I also saw that I needed to change things so that there was always new fuel to keep the fire going. So the current change, eight years later and nine years later, is I'm now reading the Passion Translation. Nice. Just stir things up, something new. And then number four, I discovered that once the fire or the passion had been fueled and rekindled, that I needed to keep it burning brightly. So it wasn't good enough to throw an extra log on it before you go to bed, because by the time you get up, it's gonna be dead. And those of you who have gone camping, okay? So the original over a decade ago was Romans 12, 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord, or don't burn out. Don't keep yourselves fueled in a flame, be alert servants of the master. The more recent word is the one I've just given you. Having not, have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, the version of it says, stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Another version says the same thing by take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Uh, the first one is just uh, English Standard Version. Okay. That's what we need to be doing. And 
I think I know you well enough to know that I'm not just talking to myself. Okay? So I made a decision to say yes. That whatever it takes, whatever it means changing, wherever it means I got to go to, you know, my spiritual life or physical life or that the answer is yes. Because I'm not going to live with half a fire or no fire. I want to be one of the most enthusiastic people in the city. Enthusiastic for Jesus, not for the Rough Riders or anything else that's going on. No, no. So. Daryl's disappointed. (laughs) Okay, there are seven things that kill your passion, and I'm not going to teach them to you. I'm going to hand them out to you. Okay. There are seven key things, and so I've written them out, and I've given you the solution to the problem with Scripture. So there are in your life at least three or four of these seven passion killers that happen. And there's nothing in them that I've mentioned in this teaching. So you need to do it. They will also be posted online. So if you lose the printout, it'll be online. Okay. So I think God is saying something, and that is we need to live like Jesus is alive. And that's this resurrection life. And if that means this is what we're going to talk about till Easter happens in April, I don't care. I didn't do this because Easter's coming. Um, I did this because I think we're missing a big aspect of the Christian faith. We're living normal life instead of resurrection life. Okay, questions? <laughs>